0: So, there we are. I wanted the young people to see this as well, because young people, as you grow in the Lord, I want you to understand that you're very special to Him. And uh, if we can grab hold of that and get back to that mindset that we are God's original masterpiece as God works and moves in our life. Amen? Young people, if you want to go downstairs, Miss Kiki has got a wonderful time for you down there. your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Very interesting book, very amazing prophet we find hidden in scripture. And I want us to understand today our salvation, the word Hosea, by the way, means salvation. And as I was kind of getting ready this morning, I was thinking about how many times in the evangelical faith we treat salvation as the raised hand, the quick prayer, and then off to whatever else we're doing. And salvation encompasses so much more. And what we have in this salvation is so much greater than fire insurance. And if we could grab that and understand that God's plan of faith for us is not just a get out of hell card, but a get into the presence of God right now where you're at. It's an amazing experience for all of us. But in the book of Hosea, God calls Hosea to marry a prostitute. And he tells Hosea, listen, this is how Israel has treated me. And he goes through these charges. He marries a prostitute by the name of Gomer. They have three children together. I think two of them were out of uh, of her prostitution lifestyle. And God speaks very kindly and lovingly And saying to draw the people of God back to him. And it's just amazing where we're at. And I want us to kind of encompass in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. There's a call to repentance there in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. Actually, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces and now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord and let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Isn't it interesting in that video how when he starts to chisel it, he says it hurts, but it hurts. How many have gone through times in your life where you felt that pain where God was taking things out in your life? And you can understand where God was chiseling you and taking those things out of your life and separating you from those things. You know, when you go under the knife for surgery, that that doctor is hurting you in a way. But he's also bringing healing because he's getting rid of those things in your life. And so God might be hurting, but he's also doing it to restore you and to draw you back. First thing I want us to understand That what we have done, you know, the scripture tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. Is that correct? So in the the kind of just understanding the breakdown of that theology, although God made you, He created you, said you were good, our hearts are wickedly deceitful, the Bible tells us, so that we are drawn back to God. We have sold ourselves out, turn real quick to Hosea chapter 2 verse 5. And God had these charges against the unfaithful wife. He says, But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst in a dry and barren wilderness. And I will not love her children, for they were conceived in prostitution." Their mother is shameless prostitute and became pregnant in shameful ways. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water and for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drinks. And for this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. You know, the idea of being sold out when we sell out to sin, you know, How many understand that you were maybe once a slave to one area of sin in your life? You don't have to raise your hand for this, but you were in bondage to that sin. That sin had you, and you would do anything to go after that sin. You would go after the satisfaction or whatever that sin gave as a feeling for you, that, that byproduct, that feeling that you would have. And here she sold herself. And prostitution so that she can get food and olive oil and all the things that she wanted. And before we come to Christ, and even while we go after Christ, there are some things in our heart that I want us to understand that maybe we've sold out to the enemy for our lives. Maybe it was an attitude and maybe it was a mindset. Maybe we're filled with anxiety for things. Maybe there's fears. Maybe there's worries. Whatever those things are that drive us, and we have literally sold our life out. She doesn't realize, the Bible declares, that it was I who gave her everything that she has. You know, everything that we have, everything that we enjoy. I love the verse of Scripture that says this, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift. Everything that we enjoy, we enjoy it not because it was the sweat of our backs, but because of God's gracious providence to us that he gave us good and perfect gifts. Turn to someone and say, you are a perfect gift today. You know that? One of the things that happened with the children of Israel, when they came to the promised land, God had told the children of Israel this. He said, get out every idol, get out every person out of here, because what will happen is if you don't get them out of the land, then what's going to happen is this stuff's going to creep in, and the Bible says there will be a thorn in your side all the time in the promised land. One of the things that happened is they had Baal worship, okay? And then actually the way to say Baal is Baalah, or Baala. It means possessor or owner or master. Because of its use for Canaanite deities, and because it implied ownership rather than relationship, God disassociated himself from the use of the term Baal, By asking rather to be called... Are you ready for this? This is a beautiful thing. Husband. My husband. He didn't want to be called possessor. He didn't want to be called owner. He wanted us to call him his husband. Now the image is so beautiful because in marriage it's such a beautiful... The two shall become one flesh. And it's so awesome to hear when Ann will give me a car or something and it's got the word husband on it. What a... Powerful terminology it is. I'm just somebody. I am Ann's husband. It carries so much to it. It's a beautiful thing. God didn't want to be called an owner or a possessor. This isn't some kind of transaction that way. Like slaves or something. He said, I call you sons and daughters. I want you to call me husband. He said, my husband. A God all wrong. uh, I'm sorry. A God. As Guinness writes, On entering the promised land, the Israelites found that every piece of land had its own deity. In other words, every territory that they went to had its own deity. You know, if you go throughout the world, they'll have different territories in different places. You've got Ra, the sun god. You've got different deities. When God was attacking with the plagues in Egypt, he was addressing every deity that had control over areas. And what happens with the enemy in our life is he has control over certain areas of our life. How many know we have territorial issues going on in our life that we're in a fight over? We might be blood-bought and born again, but there is still territory that we've got to go conquer. On entering the promised land, the Israelites found that every piece of land had its own deity. Probably in all innocence, they had begun to use the word Baal. To describe the Lord God. By the 9th century B.C., this practice had degenerated into gross confusion. Under its cover, the worship of baal Makort, the official God of Tyre, had corrupted faith in God. So here's what's happening in our progressive movement today. We have territorial issues. Now what we have in our life is we start to get so I guess salvation confused, or so God confused, or so church confused, we grab little bits and pieces of New Age thinking, we grab little bits and pieces of their kind of theology thinking, that it it gets so confusing, our faith. And sin starts to have possession in territories of our life. Hosea 2.16 says this, When the day comes, you will call me husband instead of master. One of the things that we're going to have to deal with is stubborn resistance. Anybody ever been stubborn before in your life? <laughs> stubborn resistance. Stubbornness is so funny because you could be completely, completely wrong, but yet justified because of pride and stubborn stubbornness and arrogance. You'll just refuse to even do anything because of stubbornness. Stubbornness gets you in trouble. turns to and we say, stubbornness is getting you in trouble. <laughs> we'll do some counseling here while we're here. Stephen Arbor writes, how can we endure so much loss and pain and yet refuse to seek help remains a mystery. But it happens. Rather than looking for ways to look past the walls, we hang on to our rights to remain the same. Our right to live our lives as we choose, no matter how painful those lives might become. Isn't that so true? Isn't that just amazing? No matter how painful life becomes, we still want to have our right to choose my right to the way I want to live my life. It's my life, and I'm going to live it how I will. It's stubbornness. It's stubborn resistance. And I think for all of us, it's really interesting. We need to develop in our walk with Christ. Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. Amen. In Jesus, I repent of all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for heaven, devil. You're not in my heart anymore. Amen. And we had the magic bullet. Right? I said it before, and might sound highly controversial, but understand the spirit of it is that the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than any other prayer. Because people think that this little prayer is what gets them to heaven. Faith in God gets you to heaven. It still baffles me that a believer... He called Christ his husband and yet we go out and do our own thing and we don't check anything down in our life. We live how we want to live. And Hosea marries a prostitute and he sets up anything. He chases after her and said, go after her like I go after the children of Israel. Go after her. And Christ runs after us and runs after us. And he says in that verse early on, touch it now. He sets up barriers for us. Have you ever been running down along your stubborn ways of your path and you just feel like everything you're doing, you're just tripping over everything? Praise God you're tripping over everything. God's trying to get your attention. Do you know, we go along our ways blindly, like we just assume everything's just going to work out. We just out our way, we're just stubborn. We're not listening to when we're doing our own thing. Anybody talks to me this way or that way, we just check them down. Folks, I want to tell you right now, develop a willingness to change. If there's one thing I can ask you to be pliable in the salvation that God has given you, be willing to change. Be willing to be the first to ask for forgiveness. Have you ever been in a battle or a situation and you thought you were more right than the other person? Get a hand up there, anyone? Be willing to be the first to say, will you forgive me? Because you can't take care of that person's own salvation. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible declares. So the only thing that you can make right is yourself. That's all. You can't make the other person right. You can stand in the gap for the person. You can believe for the person. But ultimately the person has to give an account for their own life before him. You can't make that person right. You can make you right. So in our lives, the stubborn resistance that we have, in fact, turn real quick to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Acts chapter 7, we deal with stubbornness. Here's what stubbornness will do in your walk with Christ. Acts 7.51, Stephen is speaking before the council. By the way, these are the higher-ups of the religious community. These are the Kremlin of Krim, the highest, the know-hows, the knowing of Scripture. These people were the keepers of the law. If there was anybody who was right, it was these people. Can I hit an amen? Acts 7.51 says this. As he blazes through... And he's standing on trial before the people. This is what really gets him in trouble. And when God speaks truth, and this is why Jesus, quote, got in trouble. This is what got Jesus hanging on the cross is speaking truth. Truth doesn't feel good all the time, does it? You stubborn people. That's not a good way to start your message. Got right in the middle there. He says, you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and death to the truth. You must forever, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit. That's why your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute. My goodness. This is a charge also to me, it's a charge to all of us. As we're looking before the throne room of grace and we're walking into God and we're saying, God change me. There must be a willingness, there must be a brokenness before Him. Outwardly, these were religious people. They were the circumcised one, the Bible has declared. They were the keepers of the law. Stephen Arbor goes on to write, A person with a willingness to go beyond good intentions, by the way. Don't you love good intentions? Don't good intentions really just kind of, Well, I intended to do that. Well, what does that mean? Good intentions really fall apart real fast in the real world. Well, I intended to be nice to that person, but you see, I intended to be a good Christian. He says, there's, not, there's a want to for the willing. The willing actually gets things done, Stephen Arterburn writes. Willingness means moving beyond the desire to do whatever it takes to make things different. I was working a few years ago with a couple, in fact, and they were working through, through some things, some infidelity and stuff was going on many years ago. And I talked to this couple and I turned to this, the husband and I said, you're going to have to be willing to do one thing. You're going to have to be willing to change your job. You're going to have to be willing to change your cell phone number. You're going to have to be willing to do a whole lot of changes in order to make this thing work. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Now, we don't hear that kind of counseling in pseudo-psychology, but we will hear it with the things of God, at changing our path and changing our way. of Make straight the path for the Lord. Good intentions don't work in this faith walk. What works is the willingness to say, God... Do whatever it takes, and I am willing to do whatever it takes. And that's how come we have to be really careful in our walk with God to avoid stubborn resistance. If God says, go ask that person to forgiveness, don't argue back and forth with God saying, but God, look at what's going on here, and look what's going on there. You be the one to initiate, you be the one willing to change, and you be the one willing to have the soft heart in the situation that you're facing. This is a good Sunday, isn't it? We're going to get homes cleaned up. We're going to get homes happy again because we've got willing initiators. Not people filled with good intentions. Do whatever it takes to get back to God in your life. If you're not walking with God today, do whatever it takes. You say, what should I do? I don't know. There is not a magic bullet. But I know this about God. That the Holy Spirit... It's much greater and has a bigger booming voice than I do. And he's also got a still small voice. He's got a quieter voice than I do. And he will speak to you if you're willing. Not good intentions, but a willingness to obey. He will tell you what to do. How many of you had in your life with a show hands? God say, you know what, go do this, go get it, get it going, get out of the good intentions. If you had a few people raise their hand, you heard God's voice! And you said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I am tired of being stubborn in my own ways. I am tired of holding the flag of, this is my right. I can do what I want. You know, everybody's protesting everything now, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Christians boycotting this. I will boycott this. Do you realize what boycotts do? You can't live on planet Earth if you boycott that. You know, there's like one company that owns every one. You know, earn a boycott Disney. I hate Disney. Blah, blah, blah. I'm, oh, I'm resisting that. I'm resisting this. If you boycott Disney, you have to boycott everything, gentlemen. If you boycott Disney, you got to boycott ESPN. You got to stop watching ESPN now. You know, I, I think I'm wearing a pair of Levi's. You boycott. You have to. You have to start sewing your own clothes and making your own garden because the world is a the wicked the world we live right. in. Me ruffle some feathers today, can I? We are worried so much about the pain and everything going on in the world. And we forget our relationship with Christ is the most important thing. Because if you're not on fire for God, why do you think the people around you aren't on fire for God? If we're not on fire for God and we're worried about everyone else, I, I just pray, God. Basically, we don't say this, but we really need it. Lord, I just pray that everyone else is on fire for you as I am for it. Come on, Lord. Make, make everyone be and fire and understanding as I am. That's what we're saying. God lovingly, here's what he will do with us. This is the other fun part of the life that we live in. God lovingly said in Hosea that he was going to lead her to the wilderness. I will lead her to the wilderness. How many like to live in the wilderness? We just went through the men's Bible study. We understand what the wilderness meant. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Wilderness is not a fun place. There wasn't palm trees. They didn't have places to mow the lawn and have a nice, you know, game of croquet. They didn't have any of that, you know? They literally were in the wilderness. I mean, there was lions and tigers and bears. Oh Wizard of Oz is coming up. <laughs> this is a bad place to be. The wilderness is not a safe place. So we think that God brings us to a place of safety. You know what God brings us to? God brings us to a place of faith. That we don't trust in anything else but Him. That's the reality of it. And I have gone through a metamorphosis in the past six, eight months of my life where I've had to learn to trust God and not just go off of flying by the seat of my pants because everything's just to be expected how it's supposed to go. But how many of you know when things aren't going the way they're supposed to go, you start to go, God, what are you doing? Do whatever it takes, God. Just as God led the children of Israel into the wilderness, We also will experience the wilderness. But we must remember that this wilderness is where we will meet our husband. When all your focuses are off of everything else and chasing this and chasing after that. How many of you know we've chased after some pretty stupid things in life, haven't we? Here he redeems us and he places us into a beautiful future. Chad Beach writes, God will narrow our options till he is our only option. And that's what he's going to do with you and me. If he loves you, which he does, and if you're your child, which he is, and if he's your husband, he's going to narrow your options to the point, and this is the sovereignty of God's beautiful, where you're his only option. Look at the story of Jonah. Remember, Jonah, what a beautiful story of stubbornness, right? Jonah's going all over the place. I want to go to the furthest place away from the area that I'm going to seek, where God's telling me, and all of a sudden a whale spits him up on the land, and he's where he's supposed to be. God will narrow all of your options until he is your only option. And the book, God in the Dark, Oz" Guinness also writes, part, part of the molding power of the modern world is its ability to leave us all blasé. It makes us accustomed to the convenience and the instant, the efficient, the routine, the engineered, and the calculated. It encourages us into a complacency that takes everything for granted. This is true of the world of science and technology where the spirit of secularism has triumphed, and it's no different in the area of faith. As television's Bart Simpson put it, in his celebrated grace before meal, Dear God, we paid for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Isn't that amazing how we get to, we're so fiercely independent? We're so fiercely independent. God, we did this ourselves. And that's what science and technology has done. We built this and we're doing that. Remember the Tower of Babel? Where they built that up and the people kept building up and one, And they started to kind of worship themselves in their own feet. We're getting to the point to where in science and technology, we're trying to elevate ourselves above the creator of the universe our tech and everything. And literally do we know all it takes is one world event to wipe the whole thing out and we're rendered helpless. That's what's so nutty about it. We don't realize how fragile we've become in our own independence. Folks, something that'll start to happen turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 is the complacency sets in, and we are all guilty of this, I am guilty as the next person, so when I preach this, I am preaching loud and clear to me, myself, and I, it is so easy to drift away, it is so easy to drift away, you know, you think out in the ocean about how powerful the currents are in the ocean, that undertow, you know, they're, the ocean is just a, it's a beautiful thing, it's it's wonderful. Our kids run to when we go to the ocean. It's the first thing we want to do when we get out to the ocean. But it's funny, you can be out there and you can just be playing. And you know how you have your one place on the beach where you're at, where all your towels are at. And then all of a sudden you look and the towels are like down there like 500 yards. It's like, how do we do it? It's the undertow. We're drifting away. We're not paying attention. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard. That's a good idea, by the way, in all our secularism today. Or we may drift away from it. With all the different options that we have. All the choices that we have. You know, we're we're proud in all the choices and options that we have. We got options for dating now you have so many options of people out there you got so many options of food you got options everything is pressed button you have millions upon millions of options so we must listen carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it for the message God delivered through angels has already stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished so we um, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord? It's so important for us not to start drifting away. Andy Stanley says this, We don't end up where we hope to end up. Our lives ultimately end up wherever our path is headed right now. Folks, you don't end up where you hope to end up. Can I It's kind of like that intention thing? It's kind of like that expectation, of good intentions. We, we don't end up where we want to end up. I like to end up way down the road here. But in order for me to get that, I have got to passionately get my life into that. I've got to go after that. I've got to say I'm going to be willing to be involved with it. I don't end up where I, we hope to end up. Our lives ultimately end up wherever our path is headed right now. Wherever you're headed right now, in your attitudes, and your focus, that's where you're going to end up. Isn't that beautiful? It might be a good strong reminder to all of us to say, I need to wake up and ask God, is this the right direction I'm going? If you haven't asked God lately about where to go, it might be a good opportunity right now in church to say, God, is this where you want me to go? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible declares. Louis Giglio said this, to be clear, complacency is not about what we own or don't own. It's cultivating and tolerating an off-target heart. When I want to ask you today, is your heart off target? Is it off target? Is it aiming at the wrong area? You know, that's really what sin means. It literally means missing the mark. That's missing the mark. Paul said, I don't, like to, I don't like to run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I was watching a special the other night with Hunter. We were watching Welcome to the NFL, and it was all these rookies that were going to be going through the combine, and they were in training, intense training, and they were doing more intense training than they'd ever done before. It was the uh, best running back of the class this last year. And what he did is he said, you know what, I'm going to go work with a sprinter. He had to go run the forty. And he wanted it to go at different times. He said, man, if I could hit a 4.6, it's the difference between millions of dollars for, that, for it to be a 4.6 or a 4.7, whatever it was, that tenth of a point. And here he goes to the sprint coach. And he says he's the best sprint coach in the world. And this guy, and this, this is a running back that's got just physique, everything going with it. He learned how to run all over again. And the sprinting coach taught him how to truly how to sprint. And you would watch the movement and the formation. He wasn't running aimlessly. Folks, I challenge you in your faith and in my faith today that we don't just wander aimlessly. That we don't just go around life and, yeah, we'll just take life as it comes to me. But that you go after things. That you go after people. That you pray for things with the intensity of like a dying man. That you believe what you're praying. That your heart stirs and that you start targeting things and say, I want to be a part of that for my life. I don't want to run aimlessly. Salvation is not Steve waiting to go to heaven. Salvation is God filling me up so that I could be a city on a hill, a light to the world. That's what I'm supposed to be. Craig Rochelle writes, the current of normalcy will pull you away from God at every opportunity you let it. When we allow ourselves to go with the flow, literally then we're moving away from the solid rock of God's presence in our life. Oh, he's still right there where he's always been and always will be. We're the ones riding the waves in pursuit of the other destinations, whether we deliberately chart a course for other locales, or more likely we just allow ourselves to float away to wherever the tide takes us. Folks, I don't want to just go wherever the tide takes me. If the tide's going to take me, it's going to take me in all sorts of crazy stuff. Jesus even declared it like this. The way of the Lord is narrow, and few are going to make it. Broad is the way of the world, but narrow is the way of salvation. The road, he said, is going to be difficult. Number two, we must get to know him. Hosea 4.6, he said, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. How do we get to know the Lord? Hosea 6.1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. The living God tells his people in Hosea 6 and 6 and 7, I want, I want to know you. I want, you. I want to know you to show love and not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burn offerings. Start to get to know God. Here's a good way to start to get to know the Lord again. Maybe we forgot this is repentance. You think about it in your relationship, we're talking about husbands and wives. Think about it. You've done some pretty crazy stuff. Maybe you yelled. Maybe you called them a bad name. No one's ever done that before here in church before good. This is that holy church on Auburn Street. And then what happens is, as opposed to dealing with it and confronting ourselves and our stubbornness in that moment, that we just go through life and just act like it never even happened. How many like that idea? Some of you maybe live through that, that are living through that right now. But I'm going to tell you with God that we come to God, and He takes us as we are, but we start to address those things and say, God, thank you for the gift of repentance. God, search me and know me and see if there's anything in my life that is offensive to you. We need to understand that in order to get close to God, we bring Him our junk and our baggage and we say, God, forgive me for these sins, for these things that I've done. If you haven't asked God for your forgiveness this week, Please do it. There's something you need to ask forgiveness for. There's something maybe even God right now is checking in your spirit something you said, a bad attitude. Don't just clean up the stuff with the people around you, which is beautiful. Clean up the stuff with the Lord because He's your husband. Start to know God by the gift of repentance after we repented. There's something beautiful that can start to happen in our life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You say, well, what else can I do? I've already repented. And repentance isn't that altar call 20 years ago, by the way. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what we do this week. This moment right now, Romans 12 verse 1, many of you may know this verse already, but and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. That's another good good idea, by the way. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What an an amazing thing that we can offer to God our bodies. I love that. We are not just offering to God a portion of our life. We love to give God. Remember, he says, I would rather have you give me your love than the burnt offerings. So what burnt offerings were, people would come and give these burnt sacrifices to God. They would go through our religious duties. It's no different today in the New Testament church. We give God our religious burnt offerings. I don't know what they may be. They may be in the form of putting something back in the basket there. By the way, if you give that tithe or that offering in the back basket and you're holding something against someone in this place or somewhere else, you need to get that offering back out of the place and go deal with that person and put it back. Sorry, Paul, this might mess up finances now. <laughs> because God's not going to receive it. That's a burnt offering. But it's not your heart. See, the Pharisees were really good at tithing and really good at giving. But they were whitewashed tombs. Now, what happens is you give a gift to God and your heart is full and you're being a sacrifice, and part of your sacrifice is the money that God has blessed you with. And now you're placing that on the altar because you're wanting to be a sacrifice. Then that's something special. Then that's something unique, and that's something that God can hear and receive. But I challenge you this week to go after repentance first and foremost. Because we think we're okay, I'm okay. Turn to and say, I'm okay, you're okay. The strongest ties, Charles Spurgeon writes, the strongest ties of gratitude hold us to service in Jesus Christ. Number three, this is a very important, beautiful part. We're filled with potential. Chad Beach writes this. We can't see the God-given potential in ourselves. Oftentimes, this is because we've failed in the past and we're currently living with a broken dream. Sometimes it's because of outside forces like a broken family or a negative environment have left us with a limited view of our worth. When someone walks up to us and sees our potential like Jesus did with Peter, it's usually hard for us to accept or believe. It's much easier to limit ourselves and only see the worst. How many of you have been there before? You don't have to raise your hand, but you've only seen the worst in your situation. Only the worst. But you haven't seen the potential And that's the part where God comes in. That's the God component. We can always go about looking at the worst. We can always go about seeing things and saying, that's the worst of it. This is the worst of it. But we don't ever see the potential. Or we have a broken dream in our life and we say, this is it, this is forever. God does see our potential. It's amazing for me personally. I don't know, all of you, anybody ever deal with insecurities in here? I got my own insecurities like the best of you. And was going through some records, not records, real records, but like records, paper records. And there at my side of my bed was a little letter that was a letter of recommendation from one of the heroes of the faith for me that I even forgot I had. It was dated in, what year was it? 2001. Something like that, 2001. And I pulled out, and I was literally in shock and awe, because this guy had wrote all this stuff about me, signs off on it, and I said, was he writing about me? And it was just a really honest moment, like a very, like, I don't even believe this stuff. How many you know when you start to read scripture and God starts to pour over in your life that he dances over you, he loves you, sometimes it's hard for our heart to receive that. Because we don't believe the best. We don't believe the potential. We don't believe that. So I put it back there. I'm like, Ann, where did you find this? I didn't even know why I had this. And it was just so amazing. I believe it was from the Lord just to remind me of who God is to Steve Lap, and it's so important. We don't see our own potential, but let me tell you about this. God sees your potential. First Peter chapter two, verses nine through 10. First Peter two. Would somebody like to read this really loud and proud? You can. First Peter chapter two verses nine and ten. I don't wanna steal it steal someone else's thunder who feels like wanna wanna to, want to read it. God's leading you to read it. pretty amazing, isn't it? Verse 10, I love what this translation says. It says, once you had no identity as a people, you have an identity. You know, one of the hardest parts to say right now with all of us, you might be a believer, but how many of you feel like sometimes you just don't belong? You know, I want you to know today in the family of God, if you're here today, you belong. And the gifts and the callings that God has given to you, not only do you belong, but we need them. Turn somewhere and say, we need you. We really do. We need each other. We need to understand that we are a royal priesthood, that we are set apart to God. And it doesn't matter what happens in the past. I know we preach that and we say that. And sometimes we don't even believe in ourselves. But I want to tell you that you have an identity in, in Christ. And you might have been in an identity crisis. Or crisis. You might have looked at things and said, there is no way. But I want to tell you today with a, no shadow of doubt that God has a special belonging for you. Maybe something jump starts in your spirit today. And Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing. Chad Beach writes this, and one of the things that's going to be important for us to do with our potential is replace your plans with God's plans, with that potential. Because as God unearths that potential in your life, in my life, he starts to unfold some new plans. You might have thought the plan was to go this way because you had your identity in something else. You might have only seen what's wrong with everything around you. And now maybe because of the new identity that God gives you or reminds you of, kind of like in that video, starts chiseling that off. And he starts to see, I am God's masterpiece. Maybe today we leave saying that. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? Today, you don't know Christ and today God wants to be able to call, have you call him husband that he wants to take your life and that you would have a communion with him a oneness with him an awareness of who he is in your life that you can have a relationship that you can love give him your love and not just the sacrifices and not just the church stuff Not just the to-do lists, but you would actually have a relationship with Christ. And today, maybe you say, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've only known the religious expressions, the Christianese type stuff. But I want to know God today. I don't have a relationship with Him. Today, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed... Would you lift your hand? I want to pray with you today if you don't have that relationship with him. Number two, as God's drawing you back, just like Hosea was trying to draw his unfaithful wife back, he draws us back. And maybe there's some stubbornness and unwillingness. Maybe it's born out of frustration, broken dreams. I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't care what the reasons are, or what it's about. But Christ is drawing you back. And you feel like your life is kind of closing in, and you feel like you're running out of options. So I want you to know today that we pray that you run out of all other options, or all your options run out. All you have is God today. Today may you see that. Maybe a willing heart. Maybe God's breaking some things down and drawing you out. So that you can see Him as your husband once again. And that you would see this great salvation that He has blessed you with. Today, if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you believer, God is drawing you back. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We don't want to just give God areas of our life. We want to give God our whole life. Why don't we just pray this together. All of us. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus I, thank I thank you today. That you met with, me, you met with me. And you me. And that you love me. With an everlasting love. An everlasting love. That I have, I have a new identity. Because of you. Because of you. Thank you God. Thank you. That you chose me today. You chose today. To speak to. to, speak to you. I ask God. She helped me to have the willingness to change, and to grow and to show you my love. Today, I ask God, help me to be a living sacrifice for you. Forgive me for my stubbornness. For the areas that I held on to. I give them back to you. All the wrongs. Even all the rights. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the work that you're doing here in and in among us. And Lord, I just pray that we would know you more and more, and that our hearts would be on fire for you, and that we'd be passionate for what you want to do in our lives in and through us. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over every family, all the struggles that people are going through right now. God, I pray that you would give wisdom and counsel to make the right decisions make the right changes to hear your voice in the areas that we're dealing with and God may you constantly remind us that you're with us and that you're for us and set up barriers around us Father so that when we're getting off line we can sense and know that we're being drawn away God we don't want to be people filled with good intentions, we want to be people that are hot on fire for you with a willingness to do what you're calling us to do and be what you're calling us to be. I pray for our homes, God, today. I pray for families today that are broken to be restored. I pray for children to come back. I pray for husbands and wives to come back. I pray, God, that you would do a groundwork. And I thank you, God, for the potential that resides in any family here. And that what the enemy meant for evil, God, you will make for good. And we speak now live to those situations that have only heard darkness, and hopelessness, and fear, and doubt, and worry, and depression. And we speak now, Father, that you would infuse your life in those moments right now. That your strong arm would come and rescue things and situations. That your mighty right hand, Father, would swoop in to the madness. We speak against the enemy right now. And say, no weapon formed against any family in this church will prosper. Show us what to pray for right now, Father. And show us what we've been afraid of. And show us where we've gotten callous. show us, God, where we've assumed. Show us, God, where our thoughts have been captivated and our imaginations have run wild. Forgive us, God, for this. Forgive us for predetermining the future in our home.
1: Those in this room who will set their expectation above what is to be expected, what is reasonable, what is normal. You have disqualified yourselves because of what you've done instead of qualifying yourselves because of what I've done. You are worthy because he is worthy. My son Jesus Christ, who died for you, poured out his blood. You've been forgiven. This chapter is over. Move forward into the blessing that I have for you. Say your expectation above and beyond. Your wildest dreams. And I will answer you. Call to me and I will answer you. And you'll know me. And you'll do great exploits, says the Lord your God.
0: I appreciate you guys praying and Ted for that word Um, one thing that was happening for me up here too while we were praying was the uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood the spirit is there to raise up a standard against that and I think sometimes we forget that the spirit of the Lord is here and he is present and that we can charge back at it that we just don't have to take it you don't have to take the darkness that would come at you and you do whatever it takes. And if that means you just stomp your foot in the middle of your living room, I, obviously there's an attack on our homes. And um, I want you guys to know, you know, as, as a pastor, we can have the most successful Sunday morning there is, but if we fail during the week, then we have failed miserably at this church. And, and I want our homes to be homes where they're not perfect homes, but they are homes where someone chooses to rise up and be on fire for Jesus, because that's all God needs. Yes, right. doesn't need perfection. He doesn't need a Bible study at 6 o'clock every night. He needs people who are on passion and on fire for Him. And you take this week, and all the junk and all that you've been reading, it's kind of like, you know, I, I pick up the newspaper, and we're almost done here, but we take the newspaper, and we were walking off the door, me and Hunter today today's like, oh, yeah, we forgot the newspaper. So... The newspaper all goes in the house, unchecked, and you see all the junk that goes on in the newspaper. It's just information, it's just news, and it's all news, and that's what it is. But we have other sources of news that God has given to us, right. mainly the good news.
2: Yeah.
0: And you have good news that you can disperse throughout your life every day of the week. No one's stopping you from sharing good news. Right. its I don't care how bad the day gets, I don't care how bad the week gets, you have good news to disperse. And your home can be a point of light, it can be a a point of energy, and a point of saying, this is a safe haven, because Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Folks, I love you, and uh, if there are some things, maybe you want to grab someone real quick and pray, maybe it's a situation, don't leave here without that being taken care of, so that you can leave here with peace and fulfillment, okay? We love you guys a bunch, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Love you.